0: Uh, Those two, the DOJ decided to take the contempt charges that were referred to them by the January Select Committee, and uh, they have decided to indict them. Uh, Also, there were votes to hold. Mark Meadows was the chief of staff at the time, and uh, mr scavino who works as the social media director for the white house uh they were uh voted to be held in contempt of congress but the doj uh, just days ago said that they have not decided to uh indict them so that's a, a difference what? of opinion uh, between the select committee and the doj uh, the members of this committee have said they are not happy with that decision uh, on mccarthy and scavino they say that's that there fact. shouldn't be any sort of immunity for them uh, but it remains to be seen if any of the other subpoenas, like I just mentioned, the five lawmakers, if any of those could uh, result in any sort of further charges. There you go. Political
1: investigations reporter Josh. Toothless. Joins us now, Josh, how important are those voices that the committee wants to hear from people who are refusing to speak to them? Well the committee said to
2: certainly do a around and for example mm-hmm. in the case of Mark Meadows, it's relied on county context that she was a top A citizen Meadows who have lot of has collected more than twenty hours of testimony from her. Uh in some of the other cases they've gone to junior and low level aides who basically fed proximity uh, around uh, the meetings and the events of that time, uh, who are not formal long. the committee like some of our presidents from the top aid. Uh, how important those voices are, though, I think it's kind of impossible to know. I mean, uh, for example, on the day of January 6th, there was only an interstate of folks who were around the former president uh, in close proximity. And a lot of those folks are not talking I Because Trump is actually talking. Kathy uh, Hutchinson, as I said earlier, who was there that day, has talked. Several other rates have talked. But a lot of the closest advisors who be him in, in kind of these pivotal moments and knew uh, the, the actual theming uh, and the strategizing that was going on have told the committee that they are not participating. So um, I guess the committee is doing the best it can with the people it has. It says, you know, that they've, they've, they've got around a lot of those people and they, they, they've figured out a lot of things, and I got full faith.
1: What are you listening for, Josh?
2: Well, what I'm listening for tonight is uh, a sense of how uh, the committee plans to go ahead. I mean, the way this hearing has been previewed to my colleague Jack Dialamani and he and others is that this will be a uh, hearing that focuses heavily on footage tonight um, from the folks who were uh, embedded with these far right figures. I uh, think kind of violent footage at times, and there will be of a road map on how the committee plans to proceed from here. Uh, our understanding is that there will not necessarily be any exclusive from pro-revelations, but I sense for the general public, okay, we're asking you to tune in for six or seven more of these hearings. Uh, here's how we're going to start and here's how we're going to go forward. And, you know, uh, what you're going to see in the coming week is hearings that focus on the Department of Justice and the pressure the former president put there, uh, the, press, the pressure the former president put on his... Vice President, the strategy to put together a fake electors in various states, and then obviously uh, what exactly happened that day, uh, along with a focus on, uh, you know, disinformation and right-wing extremism. Uh, so I think those are going to be the main thematic uh, buckets that you see the committee take on in the next couple weeks.
1: Josh, you and Jackie Alemany reported that the January 6th panel was told that former President Trump indicated his support for hanging Mike Pence during the insurrection. Tell us more.
2: So what we reported was that on uh, January 6th, Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, told other aides in the White House that former President Trump had said that. Uh, the, the base, this part of what the committee has that, is based on the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson who is the top aide of to Meadows at the time. Uh, and we don't, have, the committee does not, as we know, have any first-hand accounting of anyone that was sitting in the room with the former president when he said that. But is relying on an account uh, that Mr. Meadows allegedly provided to others.
1: Josh Dawsey, thank you so much. About 15 minutes until the committee dabbles in and I'm going to now bring in Philip Bump, national correspondent Philip, welcome to the program. You wrote an analysis piece today saying that the riot is not the point. What do you mean by that? Well,
3: what I mean is that the, the riot is simply one manifestation of this broad effort. We just heard Josh talking about how the committee is looking at the a number of actions that were undertaken by Donald Trump and his allies in an effort to retain power, in an effort to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. The riot was the most obvious, the most violent, the most visible manifestation of that fight. There were all these things happening behind the scenes. The fake electors idea, is simply the idea of Vice President Pence getting up there and rejecting electors from certain states. There were all of these paths that Donald Trump and his allies were walking down. The riot was simply one of them. And it seems pretty clear that what the committee is trying to do is not simply to adjudicate what happened with the riot, but more broadly, this effort, trying to parse out and explain this effort at large uh, to try and retain power for Trump, even though he lost
1: playbook
3: or guide does the 9-11 commission offer this select committee, Philip? Yeah, I mean, so there had been talk right after the right after the riot of, of forming that sort of committee that was broadly respected, it was bipartisan, that Democrats and Republicans were coming together and figure out what happened uh, that led to the 9-11 terror attacks. And if you actually look at the report, what it did was not just simply say, oh, here's how this was able to happen, here's how they were able to get the planes and in, 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 in crash into the World Trade Center and so on and so forth. But it really is a broader look at all of the patterns that led up to it, the the growth of Al-Qaeda, how Osama bin Laden came to power, the way in which the United States responded broadly to the threat of international terrorism. And so when you compare that to where we are now, simply focusing on what happened on the day of the riot at the Capitol is like simply focusing on what happened in New York City on 9-11. That's not what the Commission did. It looked more broadly at the patterns and circumstances that led up to it, and I think that is what we should expect to see from this committee. They're doing broadly, all of the ways that Donald Trump was trying to retain power—not simply the one that manifested in that
1: violence. Okay. You know, a big aspect of what we expect to hear explored tonight, Philip, is the planning and plotting uh, that went into right. the attack. And Nick Houston, one of the witnesses who will be live as a filmmaker who was embedded with the Proud Boys and filming what they right. were doing. What's the significance there? What will you be listening for?
3: Well, the Proud Boys are interesting. I, I, I don't think it, uh, we can safely say the riot probably would have happened had no one from the Proud Boys been there. But the Proud Boys were really indicative of a lot of things. First of all, they had a tie to, to Trump. World. They were they were close to Roger Stone in Rick uh, the head of the Proud Boys. New Stone, Stone, they provided for protection. Stone at, at times in the past uh, that they were uh, at, at the forefront of what was happening. They weren't the, the triggers necessarily for everything that occurred. But there was a Proud Boy there that when the, at the moment when the first barrier fell on the northwest side of the Capitol. A Proud Boy was one of the first people to smash a window in the Capitol and, and gain entrance inside. And they've been planning for this. They've been talking in private chats about, being, about putting together resources, about what a plan might look like to actually seize buildings in Washington. There are all of these things that the Proud Boys in particular did, the mirror or sort of a microcosm of everything that happened over the course of the day, and that they had a documentary in there with them on that day. Uh, I think that's what the appeal is. The committee can use the crowd voice and use this firsthand uh, familiarity with what they were doing to sort of walk through what happened before and then on the day of the riot itself. All right, Phillip, thank you so
1: much. Rhonda Colvin, we just saw some of the officers uh, who you've talked to enter this committee hearing room, uh, one of them surrounded by photographers capturing this moment.
0: No, that's right. Uh, this is a a day that they said that they've been looking forward to, not in any sort of you know jovial way or excitement, but of anxiousness. They want answers. You know, they put their bodies on the line. Uh, Officer Gonell, who we uh, played a clip with him earlier, he still suffers from uh, injuries from that day, being crushed by the crowd. Uh, There's also the mental trauma that we know many uh, officers who responded that day have gone through. So what they told me this week is that they're ready for this. They want answers. In fact, Officer Dunn, who I believe is sitting next to uh, Sergeant Gonnell. He told me that, you know, we did our job that day, now they need to do theirs. And uh, I'll just leave it at that, because that really says everything. There's so many people who want answers about what happened that day and what preceded, preceded it.
1: Well separately from what's happening tonight, the criminal justice system is finding, investigating, and charging the people accused of attacking the Capitol that day. Let's bring in Mary Beth Albright who's been tracking the criminal charges. So Mary Beth, give us a sense of how many people have been charged at this point and how fast or slow the process is moving.
4: Libby, well, more than eight hundred and forty people have been arrested in conjunction with the January 6th attack. And the most important thing to know about that 840 number is that it's a work in progress. This is an ongoing investigation. And some people might say to themselves, it's been 18 months, what are we still looking for? And we need to remember this is not a typical investigation. This is a large-scale event with a lot of people and a lot of potential evidence in the form of social media, either tweets or images or video, exactly what we were just talking about with the documentary evidence. Um, And we have to identify people, too. Think about all the news organizations who were there that day on January 6th with all of the footage. A lot of the people were masked, and we need to find the people, need to identify them, arrest them charge them and then bring them to trial. So it's a process that takes a long time, and considering that there is generally a five-year statute of limitation on federal crimes, um, this is going to be a while.
1: So, Mary Beth, what are people being charged with?
4: Yeah, so, Libby, the the charges are wide-ranging, and that reflects the wide-ranging activities that happened on january 6th i've pulled up four charges for the most common charges for us to take a look at and they really range and you'll take you'll see that the first one we're going to take a look at is blocking an entrance and you can imagine that this happens in all sorts of uh, protest situations on capitol hill still a crime but if you block an entrance or an exit it, it, it is a it is a federal crime to a, to a federal building Now, the second one gets higher in seriousness, and that is an act of violence in a restricted building, meaning a government building. And this is obviously a more serious um, accusation and a more serious charge, particularly you can get up to 10 years in prison plus a fine if you are found guilty um, of of this crime. So those are two two laws that are uh, related to just federal government buildings. And then you get to, I have here with me the United States Criminal Code, and in it the, the laws are grouped by subject. The next two common charges we have are under the subject of obstruction of justice. That's because the sanctity of our government and our government processes are so important that we have a special section for them. Take a look at this one: obstruction of an official proceeding. Um, if you are found guilty of this, you could be imprisoned for up to twenty years plus a fine. And remember, this is under the same section as things like witness tampering in in a, in a trial. And then you get to the next one, which is conspiracy. So it's that same obstruction of an official proceeding, but you're a conspirator. You didn't even have to be there on on January sixth in the Capitol to be convicted of this crime. So you can get an idea of how wide-ranging these are and how much of an investigation um, by the FBI and by the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. needs to take place. These charges are particularly problematic because here at the Washington Post, we have an extraordinary data science team, and in association with American University, we put together a database that has looked at what kind of affiliations some of the defendants have claimed. 78, at least 78 people have claimed um, a military affiliation, and at least 23 have claimed a law enforcement affiliation. And this is particularly notable and problematic because in those two positions of public trust, you take an oath to protect the Constitution of the United States, not as you want it to be, but as it is. And so, Libby, those are particularly interesting cases that we'll be taking a look at.
1: Mary Beth, just today, a man who's running as a Republican candidate for governor in Michigan was arrested on a capital riot charge. What is he accused of doing?
4: Yeah, we have updated information on that here at the Washington Post. Ryan D. Kelly, who is a Republican candidate for the Republican gubernatorial primary in Michigan, that's going to be held in August, but he was arrested this morning on four misdemeanor charges. Now, Kelly has said that he left... building that he left the capitol generally when it was called getting crazy and that he didn't even go into the building but the charging documents that we looked at this morning alleges that there is video identification of him inside of the capitol building waving on a mob up one of the main staircases that was initially breached. And so his house was searched by the FBI this morning. This is a very serious case. His uh, attorney told The Washington Post just a couple hours ago that Kelly currently has every intention of of continuing his campaign
1: in earnest. Libby? Thanks so much, Mary Beth Albright. Uh, James Holman. We're getting images here of this ever-growing uh, crowd in the Cannon uh, House Office Building. I just caught a glimpse of Rhonda on the camera there, sitting at a table with other reporters as they prepare to cover tonight. Uh, you know, as Mary Beth is talking about the criminal charges, uh, how important is it that the committee reference that? But, but. Make the point that, that it doesn't end there, right, that it doesn't end with those individuals and their personal responsibility.
5: Yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, Mary Beth did a great job of laying out the charges that will face, you know, the, the foot soldiers of this insurrection, uh, but this committee, uh, had, there's a different standard uh, of, you know, public opinion and uh, of, of politics crazy is the guy that she was just talking about who's running for governor in Michigan. I talked to a Democratic strategist in Michigan a few minutes before we went on the air, and he was saying, I I think this is actually going to help him in the crowded Republican primary. Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania, uh, used campaign funds for his state Senate race to bus people down to the Capitol, walk from the ellipse to right outside the Capitol. He's cooperating uh, with the January 6th committee, according to his lawyer. So the – the – this committee's job uh is is less about the people who breached the capitol and more about as phil bunk was saying a little bit ago uh the people who were conspiring behind the scenes to get them to break into the capitol let's go
6: to white
1: house bureau chief ashley parker and get You're her into the conversation the before stuff. we go live yeah. to cover this hearing actually the big question of on many people's minds is the responsibility of former President Trump and the people around him. Oh, what will you be listening true. for as the committee
7: tries to build this case? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll be looking for sort of all of the details. One day it'll be fair we, play. We and our reporting, which, which I should say felt uh, quite say, oh, rigorous, okay. but we're unable to fill in. As you know, the Washington Post did this huge uh, multimedia digital script project um, known as The Attack, where we sort of chronicled the before, during, and after of January 6th, um, and we had a ton of reporting. But we also, when we put this in the project, we had some polls and we had some questions uh we still wanted answers because we were mere reporters. We didn't have subpoena power, um, and we didn't have the ability to get some of those documents some of those text messages and some of the testimony Is this committee You know, for me, um, for as much as we found out, there was still uh, some sort of just unknowable areas for us of exactly what former President Trump was doing on January sixth, especially once he became aware of what was going on at the Capitol and we know that he was sort of we know that he was watching on television, we know that he initially was sort of enjoying it and kind of felt foolied by how how fervent he viewed his supporters. in and out of the Oval and calling close to him and trying to get him put out a video or put out a statement or put out a tweet, um, but we don't know, you know, every word he uttered, um, and so I'm very curious to see if the committee, what the committee was able to uncover that this report. There's also the question,
1: Ashley, of democracy going forward, right, and part of the project that you were involved with, is looking at the aftermath. Um, what does the committee hope to achieve here, and what is the exploration they need to do about... What happens next? Uh, how election integrity is preserved in the future?
7: Well, this is interesting because this is one of the sort of internal, and we've heard it's been very respectful and collegial, um, but debates within the committee of sort of how far they should go uh, in trying to make, in their final report, um, recommendations uh, about, you know, what they think needs to happen to kind of protect democracy uh and there's some disagreement um in in part between uh liz Cheney on the committee and, and some of the democrats
1: over that so ashley there's also the question of everything leading up to january 6th and what president trump was doing to try to subvert uh the will of the american people how are you going to be listening for that in this process
7: when I was sort of reporting and when we conceived uh, about this and we were trying to understand it, it very much felt in the run-up that there was this moment where there were sort of, it was a train um, and there were kind of two tracks and there was this moment where it diverges and it goes to this track where former President Trump is, you know, pitching the, the big lie, the an absolutely baseless claim that the election was somehow stolen or rigged, and, and from that flows this idea that if this election was stolen, then Trump and his allies need to take steps uh, to, to rightfully reclaim the election for himself. And you had, as it was described to us, a, a couple of dates, key dates on the calendar, um, where they thought they could uh, make a difference, including, you know, when the electors gathered. And of course, in each step, um, kept on getting deferred and trump and his allies would say well we we didn't succeed on, on election night um so you know we're kicking it down the road and then we didn't succeed when all the news organizations uh, you know counted the votes and, and called it for biden so now we're kicking it to december 14th and the last and final date was january 6th um, where of course we, we know what happened and so i will sort of be looking for also that moment where you know, the the training kind of got out of control and went on on one track. Ashley Parker, White House Bureau Chief, thank you so much. James Holman, we
1: are looking at this packed hearing room where everything will begin in just a few moments. We've seen quite a few of the officers there uh, who were defending the Capitol that day who were injured. I saw Officer Harry Dunn, also Officer Gunnell, who Rhonda's been talking with, uh, uh, former Officer Fanone. Officer Dunn has a t-shirt on, that has a definition of insurrection on it, James.
5: Yeah, yeah. It, it really is amazing. You know, the Democrats have really struggled since 2020 with the, target, right. you know, the criticism of uh, some people the police or, or mm-hmm. what have you. Uh, you know, these law enforcement sources, uh, these officials, uh, these officers, frontline officers, are such compelling witnesses uh, because so they underscore that this was not a victimless
1: men and women Americans uh, let's review in case people are just tuning in we will hear from two live witnesses today Caroline Edwards a capital police officer uh, one of the first people if not the first person first officer injured in the attack on the capitol we'll also hear from nick houston who's a filmmaker who was embedded with the proud boys uh, james what will we what will we be listening for from
5: him With nick you said he's really going to show that this was not spontaneous that this was not just a bunch of angry insurrectionists or people who were caught up in, in a mob but that there was planning and coordination that there was a meeting in a parking garage the night before uh, the insurrection to talk through the plan where someone mentions the capitol <laughs> He is going to show his raw tape that will take us inside the the deliberations.
1: We also anticipate getting a sense tonight, James, of what exactly the committee will be doing in the coming weeks. We know there will be six hearings this month. Uh, They could add on more, uh, but we expect them to lay out for us tonight the timeline as well as the plan how the hearings will drill down and focus on various elements of this. You see there the chair, Benny Thompson, also the vice chair, Liz Cheney. They are going to be presenting and asking questions tonight. And the other members, seven members of the committee, two Republicans, seven Democrats. This is live coverage from The Washington Post. Stay with us tonight and throughout this month as we cover these primetime hearings as well as daytime hearings live from Capitol Hill.
8: to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol to be in order. Without objection, the chair is authorized to declare the committee in recess at any point. Pursuant so the House Deposition Authority Regulation 10, the chair announces the committee's approval to release the deposition material presented during tonight's Thanks to everyone watching tonight for sharing part of your evening. To learn the facts and causes of the events leading
6: up it's to
8: and including the violent oh, attack. Yeah, yeah January 6th, oh, okay. 2021. Okay. Our democracy, electoral system, and country.
6: Huh?
8: I'm Benny Thompson, chairman of the January 6th, uh-uh. 2021 committee. Hmm. The I was born, raised, and still <laughs> live. Oton, Mississippi, a town with a population of 521, which is midway between Jackson and Vicksburg, Mississippi, and
6: the Mississippi River. I'm from a part of the country where people justify the actions of slavery,
8: Ku Klux Klan, and lynching. I'm reminded of that dark history as I hear voices today try and justify the actions of the insurrectionists January 6th, 2021. Over the next few weeks, hopefully you will get to know the other members, my colleagues up here and me. We represent a diversity of communities from all over the United States, rural areas and cities, east coast, west coast, and the heartland. All of us have one thing in common. We swore the same oath. That same oath that all members of Congress take upon taking office, and afterwards, every two years, they are re-elected. We swore an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The words of the current oath taken by all of us nearly every united states government employee takes have their roots in the civil war throughout our history the united states has fought against foreign enemies to preserve our democracy electoral system and country when the united states capital was stormed and burned in 1814 foreign enemies were responsible after war in 1862 American citizens had taken up arms against this country, Congress adopted a new oath to help make sure no person who had supported the rebellion could hold a position of the trust. Therefore, Congresspersons and United States federal government employees were required for the first time to swear an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. That oath was put to test on January 6, 2021. The police officers who held the line that day honored their oath. Many came out of that day bloodied and broken. They still bear those wounds, visible and invisible. They did their duty. They repelled the mob and ended the occupation of the Capitol. They defended the Constitution against domestic enemies so that Congress could return, uphold our own oath, and count your votes to ensure the transfer of power, just as we've done for hundreds of years. But unlike in 1814, it was domestic enemies of the Constitution who stormed the Capitol and occupied the Capitol sought to thwart the will of the people to stop the transfer of power. And so they did, so at the encouragement of the President of the United States, the President of the United States, trying to stop the transfer of power, a precedent that had stood for 220 years, even as our democracy had faced its most difficult tests. Thinking back again to the Civil War in the summer of 1864, the President of the United States believed we would be doomed to bid his bid for re-election. He believed his opponent, General George McClellan, would wave the white flag when it came to preserving the Union. But even with that grim fate hanging in the balance, President Lincoln was ready to accept the will of the voters come with me. He made a quiet pledge. He wrote down the words. This morning, as for some days past, it seems exceedingly probable that this administration will not be reelected. Then it will be my duty to so cooperate with the president-elect. It will be my duty. Lincoln sealed that memo and asked his cabinet secretaries to sign it, sight unseen. He asked them to make the same commitment he did, to accept defeat, if indeed defeat was the will of the people, to uphold the rule of law, to do what every president who came before him did, and what every president who followed him would do until donald trump mm-hmm. donald trump lost the presidential election in 2020 the american people they voted him out works. of office it was not because of a rigged system it was not because of voter fraud don't believe me hear what his former attorney general had to say about it i warn those who watching at this and that contains strong
2: language.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, just what I've, I've been through, I've had th- I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November 23rd, language. one was on December 1st, and one was on December 14th. And I've been through sort of the think, give yes. and take of those discussions. And in that context, I made it clear I did not agree with... Idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it, and that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I, I, I observed. Uh, I think it was on
8: December first that you know how can we? You can't live in a world where where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific evidence that the election, that there was fraud in the election. Bill Barr on election day 2020, he was the attorney general of the United States, the top law enforcement official in the country, telling the president exactly what he thought about claims of a stolen election. Donald Trump had his days in court to challenge the results. He was within his rights to seek those judgments. In the United States, law-abiding citizens have those tools for pursuing justice. He lost in the courts, just as he did at the ballot box. And in this country, that's the end of the line. But for Donald Trump, that was only the beginning of what became a sprawling, multi-step conspiracy aimed at overturning the presidential election, aimed at throwing out the votes of millions of Americans, your votes, your voice in our democracy, and replacing the will of the American people with his will to remain in power after his term ended. Donald Trump was at the center of this conspiracy, and ultimately, Donald Trump. President of the United States spurred a mob of domestic enemies of the Constitution to march down the Capitol and subvert American democracy. Any legal jargon you hear about, seditious conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the United States, boils down to this. January 6th, was the culmination of an attempted coup. A brazen attempt is one riot to put it shortly after January 6th to overthrow the government. Violence was no accident. It represents Senate Trump's last stand, most desperate chance to halt the transfer of power. Now you may hear those words and think, this is just another political attack on Donald Trump, by people who don't like him. That's not the case. My colleagues and I all wanted an outside independent commission to investigate January 6th, similar to what we had after 9-11. But after first agreeing to the idea, Donald Trump's allies in Congress put a stop to it. Apparently, they don't want January 6th investigated at all. And in the last 17 months, many of those same people have tried to whitewash what happened on January 6th, to rewrite history, call it a tourist visit, label it legitimate political discourse. Donald Trump and his followers have adopted the words of the songwriter, do you believe me or your lying eyes? We can't sweep what happened under the rug. The American people deserve answers. I come before you this evening not as a Democrat, but as an American who swore and voted to defend the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't protect just Democrats or just Republicans. It protects all of us, we the people. And this scheme was an attempt to undermine the will of the people. So tonight and over the next few weeks, we're going to remind you of the reality of what happened that day. But our work must do much more than just look backwards. The cause of our democracy remains in danger. The conspiracy to brought the will of the people is not over. Now those in this audience thirst for power, but have no love or respect for what makes America great, devotion to the Constitution, allegiance to the rule of law, our shared journey to build a more perfect union. January 6th and the lives that led to insurrection have put two and a half centuries constitutional democracy at risk. The world is watching what we do here. America has long been expected to be a shining city on the hill, a beacon of hope and freedom, a model for others when we are at our best. How can we play that role when our house is in such disorder? We must confront the truth with candor, resolve, and determination. We need to show that we are worthy of the gifts that are the birthright of every American. That begins here, and it begins now, with a true accounting of what happened and what led to the attack on our Constitution and our democracy. In this moment, when the dangers of our Constitution and our democracy large, nothing could be more important. Working alongside public servants on this desk has been one of the greatest honors of my time in Congress. It's been a particular privilege to count as a partner in this effort and to count as a friend. The gentlewoman from Wyoming has changed. She's a patriot, a public servant of profound courage, a devotion to her oath and the Constitution. It's my pleasure to recognize Miss Cheney for her opening statement.
9: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. And let me echo uh, those words about the importance of, of bipartisanship and what a tremendous honor it is to work on this committee. Mr. Chairman, at 6.01 p.m. on January 6th, After he spent hours watching a violent mob besiege, attack, and invade our capital, Donald Trump tweeted but he did not condemn the attack. Instead, he justified it. These are the things and events that happen, he said, when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who've been badly and unfairly treated for so long. As you will see in the hearings to come, President Trump believed his supporters at the Capitol, and I quote, were doing what they should be doing. This is what he told his staff as they pleaded with him to call off the mob, to instruct his supporters to leave. Over a series of hearings in the coming weeks, you will hear testimony, live and on video, from more than half a dozen former White House staff in the Trump administration all of whom were in the West Wing of the White House on January 6th. You will hear testimony that, quote, the President did not really want to put anything out calling off the riot or asking his supporters to leave. You will hear that President Trump was yelling and, quote, quote, Really angry at advisors who told him he needed to be doing something more, and aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment: "Quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it." You will hear evidence that President Trump refused for hours to do what his staff, his family and many of his other advisors begged him to do, immediately instruct his supporters to stand down and evacuate the Capitol. Tonight, you will see never before seen footage of the brutal attack on our Capitol, an attack that unfolded while a few blocks away, President Trump sat watching television in the dining room next to the Oval Office. You will hear audio from the brave police officers battling for their lives and ours, fighting to defend our democracy against a violent mob Donald Trump refused to call off. Tonight and in the weeks to come, you will see evidence of what motivated this violence, including directly from those who participated in this attack. You will see video of them explaining what caused them to do it. You will see their posts on social media We will show you what they have said in federal court on this point. There is no room for debate. Those who invaded our capital and battled law enforcement for hours were motivated by what president Trump had told them that the election was stolen and that he was the rightful president. President Trump summoned the mob, assembled the mob and lit the flame of this attack. We'll also hear about plots to commit seditious conspiracy on January 6th, a crime defined in our laws as conspiring to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the government of the United States, or to oppose by force the authority thereof. Multiple members of two groups, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, have been charged with this crime for their involvement in the events leading up to and on January 6th, some have pled guilty. The attack on our Capitol was not a spontaneous riot. Intelligence available before January 6th identified plans to, quote, invade the Capitol, occupy the Capitol, and take other steps to halt Congress's count of electoral votes that day. In our hearings to come, we will identify elements of those plans, and we will show specifically how a group of proud boys led a mob into the Capitol building on January 6th. Tonight, I'm going to describe for you some of what our committee has learned and highlight initial findings you will see this month in our hearings. As you hear this, all Americans should keep in fact in mind this fact. On the morning of January 6th, President Donald Trump's intention was to remain president of the United States despite the lawful outcome of the 2020 election and in violation of his constitutional obligation to relinquish power. Over multiple months, Donald Trump oversaw and coordinated a sophisticated seven-part plan to overturn the presidential election and prevent the transfer of presidential power. In our hearings, you will see evidence of each element of this plan. In our second hearing, you will see that Donald Trump and his advisors knew that he had, in fact, lost the election. But despite this, President Trump engaged in a massive Didn't effort
6: to convince that he and still hasn't information information. the election. <laughs> convince huge portions of the U.S.
9: population that fraud had stolen the election from him.
6: The whole this thing is a fraud.
9: Jason Miller was pretended a
6: like Trump he campaign like he believed that he in won.
9: Miller describes a call between the Trump campaign's internal
4: data expert and President
9: Trump a few days after the 2020 election.
3: I was in the Oval Office. uh,
0: Pretty raw deals.
3: At some point in the conversation, Matt Ozkowski, the lead data person, was brought on.
5: Oh, a deal for the American people. He
3: the president pretty blunt terms uh, that he was going to lose. And that was based, uh, Mr. Miller, on Matt and the data team's assessment of the sort of county-by-county, state-by-state yeah, state yeah, was, uh, results.
7: Uh, and
6: creation. <laughs> Correct.
9: Yeah. Alex Cannon bay was, bay was bay. one of President it's Trump's bay 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 campaign bay. lawyers. Bay? He previously worked bay for bay the Trump bay. Organization. Um, One of his responsibilities was to assess allegations of election fraud in November 2020. Here is one sample of his testimony discussing what he told White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows.
5: I remember a call with uh, Mr. Meadows where Mr. Meadows was asking me what I was finding and if I was finding anything. And I remember sharing with him that we weren't finding anything that would be sufficient to, um, change the results in any of the key states. When was that conversation? Probably in November, mid, mid to late November. I think it was before my child was born. And what was Mr. Meadows' reaction to that information? I believe the words he used were, so there's no there there. There's, there's no there. there. there.
9: <laughs> the Trump campaign's <laughs> general counsel, Matt Morgan, gave similar
1: testimony.
6: Uh, he explained no that
9: all of the fraud allegations uh, and the campaign's other election arguments you... taken together yeah. and mm-hmm. viewed in the best possible light for President Trump would mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. not change the outcome mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. election.
6: President Trump's
9: a, attorney general, Bill on Barr, on. also told Donald Trump his election claims were wrong.
6: <laughs> oh, fucking good. As you will see, this was a pivotal moment. This tweet initiated a chain of events. The tweet led to the planning
9: for what occurred on January 6th, including by the Proud Boys, who ultimately led the invasion of the Capitol and the violence on that day. Uh, The indictment of a group of Proud Boys alleges that they planned, uh, quote, to oppose by force the authority of the government of the United States. And according to the Department of Justice, on January 6, 2021, the defendants directed, mobilized, and led members of the crowd onto the Capitol grounds and into the Capitol, leading to the dismantling of metal barricades, the destruction of property, the breaching of the Capitol building, and the assaults on law enforcement. Although certain former Trump officials have argued that they did not anticipate violence on January 6th, the evidence suggests otherwise. As you will see in our hearings, the White House was receiving specific reports in the days leading up to January 6th, including during President Hello. Trump's Ellipse rally, indicating that elements in the crowd were preparing for violence at the Capitol. And on the evening Hello. of January 5th, President's close advisor, Steve Bannon, Hello. said this on his podcast. Hello. All
2: hell is going to break loose tomorrow. Just understand this. All
3: hell is going to break loose tomorrow.
9: As part of our investigation, we will present information about what the White House and other intelligence agencies knew and why the Capitol was not better prepared. But we will not lose sight of the fact that the Capitol Police did not cause the crowd to attack. And we will not blame the violence that day violence provoked by Donald Trump on the officers who bravely defended all of us. In our final hearing, you will hear a moment by moment account of the hours long attack from more than half a dozen White House staff both live in the hearing room and via videotape okay, testimony. Day. There's no doubt that President Trump was well aware of the violence as it developed. Staff urged mm. President Trump to intervene and call off the mob. Here is a document written while the attack was underway by a member of the White House staff advising what the President needed to say. Quote, anyone who entered the Capitol without proper authority should leave immediately. This is exactly what his supporters on Capitol Hill and Nationwide were urging the President to do. He would not. You will hear that leaders on Capitol Hill begged the President for help, including Republican leader McCarthy. Was, quote, scared, and called multiple members of President Trump's family after he could not persuade the president himself. Not only did President Trump refuse to tell the mob to leave the Capitol, he placed no call to any element of the United States government to instruct that the Capitol be defended. He did not call his Secretary of Defense on January 6th, he did not talk to his Attorney General, he did not talk to the Department of Homeland Security. President Trump gave no order to deploy the National Guard that day, and he made no effort to work with the Department of Justice to coordinate and, displo- and deploy law enforcement assets. But Vice President Pence did each of those things. For example, here is what General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, testified to this committee. Two or three calls from Vice President
6: he is very explicit, uh, very direct, unambiguous order. There was no
2: question about that. I can get you the exact focus, I guess, for some of our records on that. He was very animated, very direct, very frank,
5: uh, and to Secretary Miller. Get the military down here, get the guard down here, put down this uh, situation.
9: By contrast, here is General Milley's description of his conversation with President Trump's Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, on January
6: 6th.
5: He said, uh, we have have to kill the narrative that the Vice President is making all the decisions. Uh, We need to establish the narrative that, uh, you know, that the President is still in charge things are steady or stable or what's I immediately interpret that as politics, politics, politics. Uh, red flag for me personally, no action, but I remember distinctly.
9: And you will hear from witnesses how the day played out inside the White House, how multiple White House staff resigned in disgust, and how President Trump would not ask his supporters to leave the Capitol. It was only after multiple hours of violence President Trump finally released a video instructing the riotous mob to leave. And as he did so, he said to them, quote, "We love you, and you're very special."
7: <laughs> you will also hear that in
9: the immediate aftermath of January we love six, you, and you're very members of family, White House staff, and others tried to step in to stabilize the situation. Quote, to land the plane. For the presidential transition on January 20th. You will hear about members of the Trump cabinet discussing the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment and replacing the President of the United States. Multiple members of President Trump's own cabinet resigned immediately after January 6th. One member of the cabinet suggested that the remaining cabinet officers needed to take a more active role in running the White House and the administration.
6: Yeah, right. The most emblematic of those
9: days is this exchange of texts between Sean Hannity and former President uh, Trump's mm-hmm. Press Secretary Fox Haley McEnany. Fox. Sean Hannity wrote Fox, in part he doubts no more crazy people no more stolen election talk huh. yes, impeachment and 25th Amendment are real many people will quit Ms. McEnany responded in part Love that. That's the playbook. White House staff oh. knew that President Trump was willing to entertain and use conspiracy theories to achieve his ends. They knew the president needed to be cut off from all of those who had encouraged him. They knew that President Donald Trump was too dangerous to be left alone. It's
6: too dangerous, not to At be, least he until emboss- he left office
9: on January 20th. These are important facts for Congress and the American people to understand fully. When a president fails to take the steps necessary to preserve our union, or worse, causes a constitutional crisis, we're at a moment of maximum danger for our republic. Some in the White House took responsible steps to try to prevent January 6th. Others egged the president on. Others who could have acted refused to do so. In this case, the White House counsel was so concerned about potentially lawless activity that he threatened to resign multiple times. That is exceedingly rare and exceedingly serious. It requires immediate attention, especially when the entire team threatens to resign. However, in the Trump White House, it was not exceedingly rare, and it was not treated seriously. This is a clip of Jared Kushner addressing multiple threats by White House Counsel Pat Cipollone and his team of lawyers to resign in the weeks before January 6th. Jared, uh, are you aware of um, instances where uh, Pat Cipollone threatened
3: to resign? I, I kind of, uh, like I said, my interest at that time was on trying to get as many pardons done. Uh, and I Jared know that you know Kushner. he was always... Him and the team were always saying, oh, we're going to resign. We're not going to be here if this happens, if
2: that happens. So I kind of took it up to just be whining, to be honest with you.
9: Uh Whining. Uh There's a reason why people serving in our government take an oath to the Constitution. As our founding fathers recognize
4: democracy is fragile, Uh
9: people in positions of public trust are duty-bound to defend it, to step forward when action is required. In our country, we don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. And that oath must mean something. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. Finally. I ask all of our fellow Americans, as you watch our hearings over the coming weeks, please remember what's at stake. Remember the men and women who have fought and died so that we can live under the rule of law, not the rule of men. I ask you to think of the scene in our Capitol Rotunda on the night of January 6th. There, in a sacred space in our constitutional republic, the place where our presidents lie in state, watched over by statues of Washington and Jefferson, Lincoln and Grant, Eisenhower, Ford, and Reagan. Against every wall that night, encircling the room, there were SWAT teams, men and women in tactical gear with long guns, deployed inside our Capitol building. There in the rotunda, these brave men and women rested beneath paintings, depicting the earliest scenes of our Republic, including one painted in 1824, depicting George Washington resigning his commission, voluntarily relinquishing power, handing control of the Continental Army back to Congress. With this noble act, Washington set the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power, what President Reagan called nothing less than a miracle. The sacred obligation to defend this peaceful transfer of power has been honored by every American president except one. As Americans, we all have a duty to ensure that what happened on January 6th never happens again, to set aside partisan battles, to stand together to perpetuate and preserve our great republic. Thank you, Mr.
8: Chairman. As we provide answers to American people about January 6th, it's important that we remember exactly what took place. That this was no tourist visit to the mm-hmm.
6: Capitol. <laughs> Most a of the footage to the we are
8: about to play has never been seen. The select committee obtained it as a part of our investigation. It this isn't is easy a tourist to watch. Visit to I want the to warn it everyone that this video includes violence and strong language. Without objection, I include in the record, a video presentation mm-hmm. of,
3: of January 6th. Howdy, your boys! Howdy, your boys! Howdy, your boys! How you yeah, just for awareness uh, there's probably about 300 uh, proud boys. They're marching eastbound in this uh, 400 block of uh, kind of independent actually on the wall towards the United States Capitol.
7: I am not allowed
6: to say what's going to happen tonight because everyone's just going to have to watch for themselves. But it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. 11 three, four, three. Eleven twenty-two a.m. Proud Boys marked by the peace circle monument. Of course, don't fuck with them.
2: But then again, they were told to stand down. I hope and, uh, Mike is going to do the right he's thing. He's I, hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Because us. if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify. And we become president, and you are the happiest. We people. become president. Mike Pence is going to have to come through it's for a us. Royal and if he doesn't, <laughs> that will be a, a sad day for our country. Because you'll never <laughs> take back USA. our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong.
6: You are You are
2: It does look like we're
5: going to have an ad hoc march stepping off here. There's a crowd surge heading east.
6: We 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 love Trump! We love Trump! We love Trump! We love
2: Trump! We love Trump! We love Trump! Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you, I will tell you right now. (laughs)
6: Isn't it kind of ironic that the uh, police, Capitol Police, what, 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 what we just the line, they killed up. by beating. Blashing over the head.